Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. A murder at Hangman's Gallows. Hmm, what's that about? Let's find out. I am J.A. Lovelock, a barrister and an author. Welcome to my podcast, Behind the Yellow Tape. In this episode of Behind the Yellow Tape, I consider the case of Jack Hewitt, who at the age of 15 was convicted of the murder of a pub landlady. On the 4th of March 1922, Sarah Blake, aged 55, a widow woman, was found dead in the kitchen of the Crown and Anchor pub, situated in Gallows Street Common at Henley in Oxfordshire. Henley, by the way, is a very lovely area, particularly by the River Thames. So why give a name such as Gallows Street Common to such a beautiful place? I guess it was a clearing used for public hanging before they were carried out in prisons. Anyway, Sarah Blake had been stabbed more than 60 times. She was stabbed across the head, her neck and her hands, and her throat was also cut. A blood-stained butcher's knife was found near her body. The murder weapon, perhaps? Now, was Sarah Blake killed during a botched robbery? Perhaps, or perhaps not, because near her body was a box containing £400, which was quite substantial in 1922. Yet this box was left untouched. Which robber would run off and leave £400 lying around? It was unheard of for a robber to leave behind any money when they had seemingly entered the pub with the intention to steal. So on that basis, robbery was ruled out. Now this is where Jack Hewitt comes into the picture, or the frame, so to speak. Unfortunately for him, he appeared to be the last person to see Sarah Blake alive. How did he come to be the last person to see the victim alive? On that fateful day, the 4th of March, Jack Hewitt said he arrived at the pub around 6pm. He said he stayed for about four minutes, having two rounds of drinks, namely a glass of raspberry champagne, which is non-alcoholic, and a glass of ginger stout, Four minutes. That's a quick drink. After he had his drinks, he said he left the pub and returned home about 6.20pm. The assumption was made that Jack was the last person to enter and leave the pub because no one else admitted that they had gone into the pub after 6.20. Interestingly though, an unidentified cyclist was spotted on the path outside the pub at around 7.30pm. Now this is interesting because the forensic pathologist, the esteemed Dr. Bernard Spilsbury, who carried out the post-mortem on Mrs. Blake's body, estimated the time of death as between 6 and 8pm. Now, where was Jack Hewitt at this time, between these hours? Jack says he was outside Smith's shop from 6.25pm to 7.45pm. His mother told the police that Jack came home around 730 and at 750 
she had sent him to the Crown and Uncle, the same pub where Sarah Blake's dead body was found, to get some beer. Jack, having gone to the Crown and Anchor and found the pub in darkness, went to another pub instead. And this is called the Reformation. A pub called the Reformation. Never mind. After all of that, he returned home again at eight o'clock. This is all nighttime. Nighttime business. As well as Dr. Bernard Spilsbury's determination that Sarah Blake was indeed murdered, he decided that the butcher's knife found near her body was not the murder weapon. Oh, hmm. Ten days after the murder, police found a clasped knife in a nearby hedge. Because it was believed that Jack Hute was the last person to see Sarah Blake alive, and in addition, the police caught him staring at the hedge, from which they recovered the clasped knife. He was then assumed to be the killer. With that kind of thinking, on the 4th of April, the police paid him a visit at the farm where he worked as a labourer. They grilled him exhaustively in a locked shed. And in that round of questions, the police claimed that Jack Hewitt confessed to Sarah Blake's murder. In addition, they say he also admitted that the clasp knife was his. And in conclusion thereof, he signed a confession. Which, interestingly enough, had no detail as to what happened on the night of the 4th of March 1922, when Sarah Blake was murdered. Jack was a 15-year-old boy, born in 1907, and lived along a back road from Pangbourne to Henley. And it has to be said, it was not a very bright boy. Perhaps he had what we would now call some learning difficulties. Just think of this. There were no appropriate adult present, nor any lawyer to advise him. You see why the law had to be changed? But that's for the future. So, after this alleged confession, Jack was arrested and was now on trial for murder. So, here you have a confession... This should be a piece of cake, shouldn't it? Now here's the good bit. At trial at the Oxford Assizes, Jack said he didn't do it. He said he did not commit the murder. He did not kill Mrs. Sarah Blake. Huh. He denied making any confession for what's his worth. He told the court that he was forced to sign a statement without reading it. Huh. What would the court make of this then? Would they set young Jack free? This 15-year-old, who doesn't seem to be very bright, but hitherto had not been in any trouble with the law, but who was forced by the police to admit he had committed a terrible murder late at night, could freedom be inside for poor Jack? Alas, no. After all that, on Friday the 2nd of June 1922, the jury found poor juvenile Jack Hewitt guilty. Guilty of the murder of Mrs. Sarah Blake, widow woman of Gallows Tree, common.
in Henley, Oxfordshire. Now, in the year of 1922, a guilty verdict on a murder charge was certain death by hanging, and not many convicted escaped the hangman's noose. But Jack did. Fortunately for Jack, being 15 years old, he was considered too young to hang. So he lived. But he was jailed for life, legally known as detained at His Majesty's pleasure, meaning for as long as ever. You would think that was the end of the matter, wouldn't you? But to appropriate, sorry, a famous comedian strapline, and there's more. In 1932, after being detained for 10 years, Jack Hewitt was released for good behavior. See, even in lockup, he was a good boy. Prison officials described him as kind-hearted and a wholesome character. But whilst inside, he always protested his innocence. What is interesting, remember the unidentified cyclist who was spotted on the path outside the pub on the night of the murder at about 7.30 p.m.? Well, at the time of the investigation of Sarah Blake's murder, another suspect, Robert Alfred Shepard, known as Silky Bob, had come forward and admitted to stealing a bicycle and riding it to Gallows Street Common, oh, wait for this, before committing the murder. Fancy that. Shepard was arrested at the time and charged, but later said his confession was given under duress and no further action was taken against him. He never went to court or anything. Two weeks later, Jack Hewitt was arrested and consequently charged and convicted for the murder. So where does that leave us? Oh, by the way, this silky Bob Shepherd man, in the meantime, had killed his own girlfriend, Florence Jones, and he was sentenced to life in prison. On the 24th of March, 1924, while serving his sentence at Parker's prison on the Isle of Wight, this silky Bob had escaped. Oh, this gets worse. He escaped and went to the prison officer's house and murdered the officer's daughter and attempted to murder his wife. So what do you make of that then? Clearly, the shepherd man was a man with a history of violence against women. Given these circumstances, who do you think was the likely killer of Sarah Blake? Thanks for listening. I am J.A. Lovelock. Join us next time as we go behind the yellow tape and catch up with more episodes at btytpodcasts.com. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events 
that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st.